Advent Nursery Hour. You want someone to preach to you. With your host, Glenn Ostland. You want religion, do you? It's sharing time. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. Yeah. You can buy anything in this world. Uh huh. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is part two of my conversation with Tammy Whiting, Making Space for Me in a Hostile World, part two. And if you haven't heard part one, then what are you doing here? Go listen to part one. You're not going to understand what's going on. Go listen to part one, and then listen to part two. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right, so let's just get right to it, right here, right now. I, I mean, just, just the, the bravery in being, being real. And and saying yes, there are these social norms that say don't talk about that kind of stuff. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. We don't. We want to pretend that that stuff doesn't exist. Oh God, we do. I used to um, speak in high schools. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to all these classes in Michigan, and um, afterwards, I just tell them the story, basically not yeah. not the way this is written, but. Um, still true nonetheless and then summarize it for them in one class period and they inevitably girls would come up afterwards boys too but mostly girls and I could tell by their their posture sitting Mm -hmm. in their desk and then as they walked up the way they held their head I knew what they were um that they were suffering from something similar and maybe it's not exact story, but it's the feelings, right? So maybe you're not sexually abused, but you're verbally abused. Right. Or maybe you're treated like nothing or invisible. But the feelings of abuse are the same no matter what kind. And they'd come up and they'd just, it was their story to tell. So I couldn't say, oh, I see it in you. Yeah. But they they told me what they could. And um, being able to tell the whole story now or the big parts of it. Um, it's just because I want my daughter to grow up in a world where she is free, completely free. And I, I see that happening a little bit, Yeah. but if I can change, if I can change one part of that future world for her, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, um, if she makes decisions that hurt her or hurt other people, she can own those and then live a fulfilling life afterwards. Yeah. And if she, if she is alone and has no hope of real love, she can imagine it. And then it, it can come because she is open to it. I, I just don't want girls and women to suffer. Yeah. Um, and I, you, you know, your daughter, in my young women's class, um, I had so much love for my girls, mm-hmm. but I really, really had um, just compassion for her <laughs> because, and, and part of that is her personality. She's very open. Yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> but you want you want all girls and women to be safe. Yeah. I want all girls and women to be safe, and if I have to just you know, put that out there and and tell my stories in order for that to happen, then I'm going to freaking do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, this isn't really about my daughter Shaylee and her story either, but you, you know what happened to her when she was in high school and she had things that were happening right under my nose and I had no idea. 
No idea. No idea that these things were going on. And well, you're not taught in family home evening to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. I mean, the whole system is set up so that nobody's going to get real in any given moment. I mean, yeah. and she was in a safe home, you know, relatively speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a perfect home, but. Uh, no, I mean, but no, yeah. nobody's home is perfect. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's um, move the story forward and talk about QJ because uh, that's a significant, that's a significant part in it. So QJ, that, that's, that's the name, right? I'm, I'm remembering. Yeah, QJ. It sounds, um, gosh, I feel bad just saying his name. Yes. Um, so he, so how, so you're 22. How old yeah, was he? He was 16. And and how did you get to know him? I, that wasn't clear to me from, like, I know he was there. There were a group of friends. Yeah, so I was at the, I had a job at the grocery store. Okay. Um, in yeah, right. And um, he was a bagger and I was a cashier. Okay. And there was, uh, you know, it's a young person job. Like at 22, I was kind of aging out for that job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a It's a high school job. Um, and he, and he and his friends and wanted so, to wanted to buy beer or something. Yeah, it was my last day of work, and um, you know, an excuse to drink when you're in high school, right? So, I bought him a bottle of alcohol, and he. Um, and there was there was something where like they convinced you to get that it was whiskey, and it was actually kind of like a what was it a fifth of whiskey, and you didn't even know that it was that big or came in that size or something like that. No, what? yeah. Like, I don't even know what a fifth is. Like, it was just a bottle. Um, And so I was at the liquor store and I went in and they were, the kids were in the car. Gosh, I can call them kids now. Um, And I I asked for the Southern Comfort, which is what he wanted. And the guy. So you didn't sell it to him as the, you you went into the. I went into the store store and brought it it out to the car. So um, the cashier at the liquor store asked me if I wanted a, a fifth oh, or a right. smaller yeah. bottle. Yeah. And I didn't know. I asked, I think I actually asked him, well, what's a fifth? And he pointed to the two sizes. And in that moment, I thought, well, when I was 16, I would have loved to have had the bigger bottle because it would have mm-hmm. lasted longer because you don't know when the next time somebody's going to buy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, spoken like a true teenage alcoholic. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I buy it and I bring it out and we go to this party. And this is the first time I've, I've had alcohol and um, been out of the grandma's house, you know, for three months. And it's this outdoor party on, uh, in a field, like a hill kind of, uh, it was dark. So it's really hard to describe, but, um, Anyway, he walked off and, and the other kids walked off and I kind of leaned against the car and drank my beer. Uh, and I could see him. There was um, light. I don't know if it was the moon or somebody's headlights, but I could see him. And he was standing in front of these boys and they were talking to him and like laughing. And he, um, his fist was um, tight the hand that wasn't holding the bottle and he, he put the bottle to his mouth and he drank the whole thing. 
Um, and they were egging him on, right? Like they no, were kind they of teasing him, like teasing him. You could see it. Like, and there was three of them. I don't know. And he dropped the bottle, and there's this. I can still hear like this big thud. The bottle just dropping into the dirt, and um, he he staggered kind of back, and then he fell uh, face down in the dirt. And those boys came over and stood around him and other people came and stood around him. And one of them kicked him and they were shouting. Um, so I went over and I, you know, um, you know, checked to see if he's breathing. I was screaming for the other boys that came in the car with us. And we like lifted him up and brought him to the car. So he's completely passed out and we get him in the back seat and he's so tall. Like he's as tall as you are. So if you can imagine like getting that boy into the back of the car and like wrapping his legs up so that we can close the door. But the problem was he was, um, he was face down in the back seat. And so if he had to throw up, he would choke on his vomit. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I'd thrown up many times. And so that, that was a frame of reference. So I, I kind of knelt over him in the back seat and held him up by his, um, like his belt loops, you know, held up his um, waist. So he was like shaped like a V and, <clears throat> and then when we drove, nobody knew how to get to the hospital. So we stopped at a Burger King parking lot and there was a pay phone outside uh, and we called but the boys didn't want to call because they're underage uh, and they're afraid. Mm-hmm. So I left him and went and called and, and the boy said he would hold him up while I was gone. So I got back from calling, got the directions to the hospital and he's not breathing anymore. Mm. So I'm trying to like do something as I'm holding him up Um in case there's vomit that needs to come out while we're getting to the hospital and they rush out and they, they take him and they tell us to go. So we stand there watching this amazing effort, you know, to get him to, to help to get him inside the hospital. And, and then we went home, the boys dropped me off and, and I was back at my grandpa's house and I just laid in my bed with my clothes on and didn't sleep. In the next few days, I called the hospital several times to get an update, but I'm not a family member. So, um, so they wouldn't give you any information. Right. So they couldn't tell me anything and I couldn't go there. Um, so that was, that was Saturday night. And and this was in Michigan. In Michigan. And, and I'm and about then, to go back to Wisconsin. I had planned on leaving on Wednesday. Okay. So you already, you had already planned on leaving. And part of the yeah. reason for this party was you were leaving your job because you were going to be moving to. Yeah, I'm going okay. back. All right. All right. Yeah. So, um, so it's on the news every night, you know, this yeah. story of this boy, he's in ICU and kind of in a coma. And so I get on the bus I had to take the bus back. Oh, because I crashed my beautiful car, which is in the book. Into uh, an ambulance. Yeah. Yeah. I hit an ambulance. <laughs> it was icy. 
you was a choice. Make, you had to make a choice. You, chose you had to make a choice. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was an interesting section. Yeah. Um, so I, go, I get on the bus at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. And at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday is when QJ died. Mm. But I, well, I, I, you're you know, on the bus leaving. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I step on that bus and it goes, and that's when he right. dies. And you felt responsible for that too. You felt right. like if you would have stayed, he would have lived. But since you left, he died. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because the timing of it. Yeah. But I, so my grandmother sent me a clipping in the mail. So I found out about a week later. Um, and then this, you know, this random thing happened where I went back to church. Like I did not expect to do that. Well, the, so let's tell that story though. So, you, okay. so you, you, you get to Wisconsin, you get a job at Olin Mills where you're calling people to sell them picture Photo packages, packages. Yeah. and you're not meeting your sales quota and yeah. your boss is hounding you. And so you think, Oh wait, there's this woman that I remember from when I was Mormon. Yeah. I'm going to call her to try and sell her. And she goes, okay, I'll buy it if if you come to church on Sunday. Yeah, I'll pick you up. Do you need a ride? I'll pick you up. So she picks me up, and I've got this like well, but wait, wait, really wait, but hang on, because this sneaky. was this this was one of those moments as a reader that I you know like I've I've got these mixed emotions of kind of like how dare she rage and oh please save oh. tammy you know like like <laughs> it's kind of like the devil on the shoulder whispering one thing the angel on whispering one thing and i'm not sure which voice is coming from which one i don't know but but the yeah. uh, you know that like she's kind of manipulating or seeing this as an opportunity and oh, sure. in such a helpless point and you've got your your supervisor your boss that's like breathing down your neck quite literally there in the room as you're on the phone yeah. Like, okay, I'll do it. And you get the sale so that you can say, let me keep my job. Yeah. And, and then, then, then you're like, okay, so I've got to go back to this place. I don't really have church clothes. No, I have nothing. You have like this black tight mini skirt or something like that. Oh yeah. I mean, it looked really good, but in the, <laughs> in the framework of where you are, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> there, like a bar is a dark place. Mm-hmm. So the lighting is, is, it's, there's an aesthetic to it, right? Mm-hmm. But church is very bright. And so it's, it stood out for sure. Yeah. But as I, so we're, she picks me up and we don't really talk about too much. And then we get there and I open the door. There's two doors. There's the foyer door. And then there's the outside door, right? With that little space in between. Mm-hmm. And I open that, um, that door and this feeling of love. Right. I can't. I've gone back to this feeling so many times, like, what was that? And it's not, I cannot. So I do believe that there are times in your life where there's some kind of universal or I don't want to say divine, but like, you know, some kind of intervention to get you on the right path. Right. I, I do think that that was real. Yeah. There's well, no the, other explanation because there's the, no psychological thing happening at this point. It's just me and the door handle. It's just. <laughs> sure. Sure. Let me, let, I, this is the, the other, the, the next part that I had Mark to read from, from the mm-hmm. book as, as you're entering the outside doors and you say, I pulled open the inside for your door and I feel this amazing wave go through me like love comfort whatever it is, it feels amazing. It feels like 
family. Mm. Is this what parental love feels like? I've never felt this before. It isn't like an alcohol high or any drug high I've ever tried. It's clean and honest and happy. Mm. I loved that. I loved, I, I, I loved that. And just the recognition and even now looking back at it and saying, okay, it's, it's something that was, uh, you know, like meant to be to get you back on your life, uh, your life back on track, Wh- whether it's meant to be or not, that's right. the role that it played for you. And that yeah. this, this like desire that you had to, to call your grandpa in the first place to do the family reunion you know, even the, the, the different relationships with you had that you had with guys that you couldn't really trust, but you still wanted that kind of connect. You felt like you had it Mm -hmm. here and it was real and powerful and just so important to you. And it just changes your life and becomes, you know, spoiler alert, such a, such, such a incredible foundation upon which you can experience the consequence of QJ dying and the, the yeah. things that, that result, you know, the abortion, you know, like all of these things that had happened and you've got a place to put that now that you feel safe and love and accepted. And for all of the things that we complain about the church uh, about, you can't deny that these right. group of people in this place, because of the teachings that they received, because of what they were doing, coming together as a family ward unit, they accepted you in. Even if it's, you know, like I'll buy your package if you come to this. You know, yeah. like they can nitpick yeah. those things. Yeah. Just, Even no. if it's marketing, I, I right. <laughs> so I get I get that there's a physiological response to belief. Sure. Right. Yeah. And. Um, and I, I, I mean, I could look at all of that and, and disregard all of it in a scientific way. But I think believing that that door handle had some kind of magical, mystical power for me, it just feels good. It feels nice. And I'm, the, I'm, I'm that type of person. Like I want to, I want to believe in Santa Claus because Santa Claus makes me happy. Yeah. But, and so, and so, what does that make you do then? That made you be the best Santa Claus for your kids growing up. Oh, yeah. ever? Yeah. Well, the alternative was if I failed even a little bit, it felt like I was her. It felt like I was my my birth mom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you keep saying you're you're calling her your birth mom, which is a little foreshadowing yeah. of some things to come. Yeah. But so, so you you. You, you become part of this ward and, and you, you talk about what that was like, um, which I just found really, really beautiful. And I, my response as I was reading it was, would I feel like that if I went back now? Mm, you know, oh. Because there's, there's absolutely this sense of community that I know that I, I'm the one that walked away from it. I'm the one that rejected it. And, yeah. and I, I haven't been able to replace that, um, intensity of connection with all of the good and the bad that goes with it. And for me, there was just way too much bad. I had to get away from it, but it it made me wonder, could I go back? I started thinking about, uh, I could probably go and talk to my Bishop. Maybe, maybe I could like give it a try. Maybe I could see Mm -hmm. if I could capture this thing that, that you're describing that really 
helped you through this because I could, I could use some help. You know, I could use yeah. some community. I could use some love and some support and a place to pour my own desire to love and support in, into as well. And um, a place for your spirit to just be yeah, and, and to play with that a little bit, mm-hmm. explore your own insides a little bit more. I, yeah. I like that too. I, I just couldn't feel that after a while. Sure. Like once you know things, yeah, and the bubble is cracked. Well, just, yeah, and 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 I don't know if this is you know, yeah. Oh, might as well. We 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 we've touched on it now. I was wondering should we talk about this later or now? I, I I think what one of the things then because you do explain at the end of your at the end of the book, you know, that was that happened in 1992, I think it was now. But then in in 2012, I left the church, and here's why, and and you kind of give the the explanation why the the very real beautiful powerful connecting things that are in the church are become um uh, tools for abuse by other people in the church yeah. you know yeah. not everybody in the church but there are there are ways in like the things that the leadership does and where you don't have honesty you don't have integrity and and it, it becomes like this carrot that you can have all these wonderful things if you do all these things uh, other things that for some people make you compromise your own honesty and integrity. And there's, yeah, I think any, any group organization is like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it's not just Mormonism, but Mormonism yeah. seems to have a special brand of manipulation and control that yeah. I, I just couldn't. Yeah. But, but not these, not, not these, these, these women that welcomed you into the ward um, and yeah. not the, not the ward back in, was it Michigan? You went back to Michigan. So, so you're, you're, you're in Wisconsin. You're, and, and then at some point the police come to your door Yeah. and they say, do you know why we're here? And you just say, yeah. And they're like, well, you need to come with us. Can I go upstairs and get my shoes? Nah, come with us now. I had almost the exact experience, you know, when, when <gasps> Tracy accused me of the domestic oh. abuse and the police took me out and I'm like, can I, it was, it was one thirty in the morning and like, I'd gotten out of bed. Can I go get my, my wallet? My, can I put socks on my feet? Can I put something on other than my pajamas? No, come with me. I did get the, the handcuffs. You didn't get the handcuffs. No, not in that time. <laughs> not that time. Yeah. But so they, so they take you in, um, you get arrested. Um, and, and, and then there's an extradition back to Michigan where they want to charge you for involuntary manslaughter, for which a is felony. felony. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so and, it's, I'm there for the weekend. In, in uh, jail. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then I have my hearing mm-hmm. and they, that's when they tell me that what I'm being charged with. Yeah. Um, and, but he trusts me to get there on my own. He says, well, you go. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go yeah. today. And he said, okay, then we'll release you. But if you don't show up, we put a warrant out for your arrest. Right. But I, at this point, like I had been repenting all summer. And the only thing I felt burdened by was, I mean, it's a pretty big thing. But sure. I, yeah. Um, well, you felt bur- burdened, burdened by the abortion and felt burdened by yes. QJ. QJ's death, right. Yeah. So I felt like I had... I had killed two people mm, yeah. and I couldn't, um, I couldn't pay for that. Like just yeah. with a conversation with my Bishop or I couldn't pray that away. Like it wasn't, yeah. 
there was a barrier there and I couldn't, I felt lighter with everything else, but this thing was just so heavy. And so I was kind of happy to do it, you know, like, let's get this over with and let's, let's figure this out so that I can like live the rest of my life and maybe yeah. not be so burdened. And, and I, I, I think I, trying to remember. So, so you went back to church that first day, you felt that love, you felt that acceptance. Was that also when you met the bishop of that ward and they said, well, maybe we'll need to hold a disciplinary council or, or did that yeah. happen later? It was the no, same that was day. the very first day that I went back. Yeah. And you didn't and care. I, I, you I just, totally you're like, fine with it. awesome. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> help so help me this, unburden myself. Yeah. Yeah. So there was like six guys uh, around the room and Bishop was in the middle and I was in the middle looking at him and there was no conference table. It was just chairs. Um, and I just remember myself, you know, telling the story, the whole thing. Um, and this is before the, the police came, right? Yeah. This is okay. before the, like, like the start of the process of repenting. Mm-hmm. So like I tell the story, they give me a book of Mormon, you know, like the, the very beginnings of, and I was so animated and happy to be there happy to be dumping, I guess, downloading all this stuff to them. Um, anyway, they thought about it and they, they prayed three times. It was kind of like just walking up against the wrong door, but they kept praying for an answer. Like, what should we do? Should we, you know, disfellowship her? Should we excommunicate her? And the answer kept coming back. No. And then finally they, they settled on a period of, um, what do you call that? A temporary period of probation like, or something like that, probation, where you can't pray in yeah. public or yeah, exactly. No teaching classes, no teaching. Yeah, just sit there. And I was like, cool. Let's. I let's don't want to do any of that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I go back to Michigan, um, and I report to the the Livingston County Jail, and they I sign a paper and I leave, and that was it. And I had to wait like eight or nine, nine weeks. And, and pe- people in the ward in Wisconsin communicated with people in the ward where you were going to. So you had a, a, a this community to go into. Well, right? it did eventually. So at first I went, I just went to my grandparents' house. Oh, okay. Because that, they're the only people I know. And that's when my grandpa got in bed with me in the middle oh, of the night. Oh, right. So I called, I called my uh, bishop in Wisconsin. I said, I can't do this. This is what's happening. So Mike. And, and is, by, by the way, I was so impressed with the way that you handled that oh. in saying, Grandpa, I'm uncomfortable with this. Leave. And yeah, he did. Get out. Get out. And, and that you would, you know, like e- e- even there, you're starting to see this character arc of, of like, wait, I have more self-respect. Uh, I recognize that I don't just have to let you do this yeah. to me. I'm going to say something. I have an option. Yeah. 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 And I was just happy that he did it. Right. <laughs> he got up and left. left yeah. I, cause I was, I was terrified yeah. and the rest of the night I couldn't sleep. Like I, I kept thinking he's coming, he's going to come back. Right. That's what nightmares, that's what happens in nightmares, right? They just, they just keep coming back and yeah, he didn't, but then I wasn't going to wait for another night. So I left. Yeah. 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 And, and, and they, they arranged for you to meet with the Bishop of the ward there who was Bishop Lowe. Yeah. So I went back to Wisconsin, Mike, this, my friend, Mike, he came and picked me up 
And then he, the bishop in Wisconsin calls the bishop in Michigan and asks, he, he asks for volunteers from the ward, you know, who, who can put this girl up until she goes to jail? You can imagine that just didn't go over very well. Like, <laughs> I mean, who do you even ask? Yeah. Like, who's going to say yes to that? So nobody said yes to that. And the bishop called back and said, well, she can come stay with us. Mm. And he had uh, five kids, a wife, you know. So I, I go back to Michigan and I stay at their house for nine weeks waiting to go to jail. And that's when I started like speaking in high schools and um, doing things yeah. like that. How, how, did, how did that happen with the speaking in high schools? So the, the kids of this family that I was staying with, the Bishop's family, mm-hmm. um, their ages were five to 16. And the 16 year old, of course, had heard about this and all of them knew why I was there. Mm-hmm. And I spoke, I spoke like at the, in young women's, young men's at the ward, you know, and then they, they started asking me to speak in like the stake. And so they had these big gatherings. Um, so the probationary period of you not being able to speak had obviously lifted at this point. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it had. So <laughs> just in time. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was speaking in, in like three, um, I guess the stake took up like parts of three counties. And so, um, and then the girl, the 16-year-old Julie in this bishop's family, she asked her teacher about me speaking in her class. And so that's how that started. So I started speaking in her class, and then I did another class, and then another school, and then it was three counties of schools. And, um, and what, were you, what were you telling? What was the, the main message? In the these- main message is don't drink, <laughs> you know, because this is what can happen, but also... Um, just telling them my whole story. Like, this is how I started drinking and this is my shit life. And did you, I mean, when you say whole story. Yeah. I start with a diagram of like, you know how the genealogy diagram with the the man and the woman and then a line down and then there's their kids. So I, I start with this diagram and then I start going, well, and he slept with her with these giant arrows. And then she so you, slept with you him. talked about your grandpa and oh, yeah. your mom. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were still asking you to come back and talk more yeah. about it. Wow. So that's the introduction is just, this is like, you know, and everybody's got their, their own crazy stuff that's happening at home. And so it's not, it's not a reach. It's not a stretch at all. And, yeah. um, and the, the kids had to write letters back. Like I'd get manila folders full of letters on, lined paper from these kids most of them just you know thank you for coming to our class but then some of them were mad like Mm. they felt like i was a murderer and um should be some of these people knew qj and in fact even his parents sat in on one of your well his his parents were there at the at the the um when I went to court and oh is that what it was okay so it wasn't one of these talks it was it it was just at the sentencing okay yeah, that was nine weeks later. So this is what I, I hung up totally with the missionaries too. The there were sisters and elders in the ward, and I um, gave them rides and we hung out in P days and I went tracting with them. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty much the Mormon rock star for young adults, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I went to the sentencing and all these kids showed up. Uh, these teenagers, there were 17 kids at my sentencing. They, the parents let them out of school. And um, the judge asked, you know, is this a try and manipulate the court? And he got kind of angry. And 
but um his yeah so qj's parents were sitting off to the left off to my left and all these kids are in the back and i'm just bawling my eyes out um wearing my sunday best and um i was not sentenced to a felony i was sentenced to a misdemeanor um of providing alcohol to a minor, which is 90 days uh, maximum in, in county jail. Yeah. And so I got the full 90 days. Well, except, except they, they like the, the way I pictured this was, was very like kind of dramatic like that. Um, well, what was the, what's that black and white movie about like, yes, Victoria, there really is a Santa Claus. <laughs> you, know, you know that one where, where where they like dump the the bag of mail on the judge and he's oh, like, yeah. oh, there's no Santa Claus. Then what are these letters for? But but I kind of I pictured that as like the 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 judge was given all of these letters, maybe not yeah. all of them, but a lot of these letters um, that you had received from from doing this you know public outreach. Here I'm going to yeah. tell you my story. I'm going to be and and the judge is like, oh okay, I see that she's I, I kind of see where she's at. And yeah, so and there was a letter from my you. bishop in Wisconsin and mm-hmm. a letter from the Relief Society president. Like, he had a lot to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was just hoping that he would see a little bit, but mm-hmm. I didn't – I felt like whatever the whatever the decision is, I'm totally down for whatever you're going to give me. It was just really hard to be in the room with his parents. Sure. I'll that bet. was super hard. Because um, he was their only child. Um, they never had more children and, um, so that was, and you know, the other reaction I had as I was reading about this, I I was kind of upset that, um, you were getting, you were being the scapegoat for the death when the, the friends were the ones that were egging him on to drink it all. You know, like, yes, you could not have provided alcohol to a minor, but that's not what killed like in the chain of events of things that killed him. That's down the line. It's part of it, but there were some other things that were going on. And, and for, for you, it, it just felt unfair to me, but I, I have an affection for you as my friend, you know, so I'm <laughs> very defensive of you and like th- no. thinking, you know, what, why should Tammy have to bear the weight of all of this? Well, outbreak? okay. So here's, you know, those boys and the kids that stood around him and all that, I mean, they were just kids. Sure. You remember being a stupid teenager? Like we were all stupid teenagers. And I'm and a the, stupid you know, teenager now. I'm just almost 47 <laughs> years old. <laughs> well, I mean, your brain's at least firing at a more normal rate. Um, sure. <laughs> so I, I don't blame them either. Yeah. I mean, it was just something that happened. It was just yeah horrible, but. Um, the truth of it was, is that kind of thing can happen every weekend Yeah. in every location. I mean, this is, this is our climate. This is like what can happen with alcohol. I feel like alcohol um, is just a damaging kind of, uh, I mean, I've had, you know, since I left the church, I've had wine and things like that a few times. But my liver and um, and a and a pitcher like of uh, like like we we made mojitos once in a big pitcher and we didn't realize that the rum was just going to sink to the bottom. Yeah. And yeah. and and you and my wife Krista kind of discovered that the the truth <laughs> and the reality of that <laughs> that, that was a memorable yeah. night. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah. but at any point. Um, so so now the this family that you'd been staying with 
the lows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you developed a really close relationship with them. And at some point they came to you with a proposition. And I, w- was this before the sentencing or after the sentencing? It was a week before the sentencing. And what, um, what, did, they, what, what, what did they propose to you? So we sat down in the front living room, which is, you know, the, the more formal living room. And um, I was just sitting on the floor in front of them. And they asked me if I wanted to be adopted. Um, and you're, you're 22 and years I'm old. Like, I'm 22, but you know, we'd had, um, you know, they were kind of on their best behavior because somebody's living in their house, you know, so they'd have family night, uh, on more on a regular basis. And I, and we'd sing those songs, those songs that were so painful when I was nine years old, you know, talking about how you have this great family on earth and God mm-hmm. loves you and all of that crazy stuff. Um, and I did not believe that for myself from a very young age there was an exception to that rule and I was it. So, so they would sing, the, the Lowe's would sing these songs at family night and it's just very simple and beautiful. And, and uh, I just remember once just running from the room and going and crying a little bit in the bathroom and coming back because I, I just needed to reset, you know, cause they, they were so nice and they were, they weren't abusive and they, you know, they fed their kids and they, um, hugged their kids and the kids didn't fight with each other too dramatically and the parents didn't hit each other. It was just, they were still together. Like that just uh, was not my reality. And so it was just amazing to watch. So then here are these two people, these calm, peaceful, like spirit guided people asking me if I want to join their family. Right. And they'd ask their kids, one by one, they'd asked all their kids first before they even brought it to me. Because if one of their kids said no, they wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But they all said yes. And so after I was sentenced, I, you know, I said, Could I think about it a little bit. You know, like this is just, it was just a lot. It was a lot for me to even be asked. And so when I was in jail, I called them from the payphone and I told them yes. That's when I said yes. And and you were, and, and you were, so, so, so there was, there was like quite a, a at least a, a week or two, maybe a week. longer. A week. Yeah. Um, and, and you were kind of worried that, oh, maybe now that I'm in jail, they'll change their mind or they won't want me anymore. You know, like all those things that you were struggling with, right? So many things. Yeah. So many thoughts. Yeah. Because the, the entrenched thoughts. Yeah. For, you know, my 22 years had been negative. So I was expecting something negative. And, and, and this idea to adopt you had come to Sister Lowe, right? Kind of the, from the first yeah. time you went into their house and she like just two had this weeks, so, Yeah, two weeks after I arrived, she had this crazy idea that we should adopt her. And she didn't say anything to her husband because it's insane. So <laughs> about a month later, he had the same idea. Hmm. Um, Ind- independently of her? independently of her, she never said anything. And he had this idea and he brought it to her and said, I'm thinking that we should adopt her. And she, she had, you know, kind of this moment, like, like I've been thinking the same thing, you know, maybe we should do it. So, so then they asked their kids and then they asked me. Mm -hmm. So it was just this process. It took about a month for them. And so you're then then you're you're 90 days in prison. Surprisingly, ended at 44. You didn't realize that it was going to yeah. end 
at 44. So you were, you were there for a little under two months. And during that time, Sister Lowe comes to visit you and she's on the other side of that bulletproof glass. And that's the moment when you start bleeding out over everything. Like how in the world, like what, oh, Tammy. So painful. It was so painful. We were just standing there talking and then all of a sudden I doubled over in pain and the the police monitoring um, person is standing behind me and she catches one arm and my roommate, um, my cellmate, she catches my other and they bring me back. But the look on my mom's, who is now my mom, Mm -hmm. um, the look on her face of like, I need to help you and I can't help you. It was such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, Anywho. So then we went back to the cell and I was, I, I was vacillating between the bed and the floor and the toilet. And um, there's blood all over the floor and I could just keep flushing. And then just, it's, it was, it's kind of a blur, but my roommate, um, Alexis, she cleaned it up like they brought um, a mop and a bucket. They wouldn't bring, you know, they didn't get a doctor or anything like that. So she just kept mopping and mopping until it was cleaned up. And it just kind of quietly happened. I, I watched, I think I made it all the way through the first two seasons of Orange is the New Black before I just couldn't <laughs> yeah. anymore. And then, so that's what I kept picturing um, yeah. as I was reading that section. I couldn't watch of, that past the first like three episodes. I'm sure. I couldn't watch it because that orange is exactly the orange that I wore. Mm-hmm. And it like, it smelled like it, you could tell it needed a little vinegar in the wash. Like it just had right. like a scale. <laughs> yeah. How many people had worn it before, you know? And just the lack of compassion when, you know, from the, the prison guards and other people around you in that, that state was just, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so you get out after 44 days um, and then the adoption um, becomes a real thing. Yeah. There, there's kind of a months. honeymoon period that kind of ends and real life starts happening again with some conflict, but still you, you, there's that, yeah. that commitment and you know, that family stuff. And, yeah. and, and at some point that's when you, you decide that you want to go on a mission and you yeah. put in your papers I'm either going to go on a mission or I'm going to go out to Utah and go to school. Like those were the two things that I had settled on. My parents kind of, my parents, I love saying yeah. that. Yeah. Um, they, they sat me down and said, okay, we need to talk about like the trajectory of your life. Cause yeah. you just can't, you know, I think they were thinking, we well, just can't stay here the rest of your life. Yeah. Right. But I would have been happy doing that for longer. I think I yeah. was, I lived with them for a year um, and then went to Utah. So, yeah, but those are the two decisions that, that I had nailed down. I was either going to go to Utah and get an apartment and go to school, or I was going to go on this mission and I really wanted to go on a mission. Yeah. And, and, um, th- this is the next part in the book that I want to read. Okay. Um, because you, you are preparing yourself for the rejection of, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and, you say, even though I'm forgiven of everything, have repented and feel completely clean, I still may not be worthy enough. Yeah. And I've got to tell you, that part made me angry. 
<laughs> not at you, obviously. Yeah. But just at the culture of, you know, like the, the, I, I, I again see the church did this wonderful thing in bringing you in and giving you this, this, you know, sense of family and community that you always wanted. But then what happens when you're in it? That mm-hmm. there's like, now don't ever, don't ever think that what you're doing is good enough. Right. So there's right. always like this perpetual needling of there's more that you've got to do to be worthy instead of being like, you know what, now is the time. Like I can create heaven on earth right here and have it be like peace. It's like, nope, <sighs> nope, nope. You're not, you're, you're still not worthy. Even though all of these horrendous things that you've done, you know, that you feel like you've done, um, and that you feel like you've paid your, you've repaid the debt to society, you're free, but you still don't feel worthy enough. Yeah. Oh, well, and that's, they, they need to keep you on the edge of your chair so that you're poised to help at any moment because they're not doing the helping. The people, the members of the church are doing the helping. You're talking about like the, the, the leadership, the brethren. Yes. So, yeah. so they keep you poised on your edge of your seat, uh, anxiously engaged helping as much as you can, which is both exhilarating and exhausting at the same time. But they have to do that um, to perpetuate the whole system, right? Keep you going to the temple, keep the money coming in, but also to keep, keep providing for the poor because they don't actually provide for the poor, right? It's all on the members helping other members. Which is, I mean, I'm Which is a, good thing. a little bit right now. Yeah. yeah, it is a good thing. And it, it taught me a lot. But that necessity to keep you not fully baked, not fully complete, right? You're not, you're never going to make it until you die. Yeah. So then you're anxiously engaged until then. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And that, and, and, you know, there, there were a lot of factors that went into me becoming disillusioned with the church and, and eventually leaving. But that, this was one of the biggest ones where I would see the, the value of living a Christ-like life and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the lessons that they would give. And, and it's still to this day, the, uh, the, the section in Moroni, what is it? Chapter seven about charity. Mm-hmm. You know, charity yeah. faileth. And, you know, if you have charity in the end, it's going to be good for you. That's still one of my favorite favorite messages of all time. And it doesn't even matter to me that it was plagiarized from the new Testament. I don't care. I still love it. And I, and I appreciate that I got that at a young age and it, you know, like I I love that. But when I started seeing the, the, you know, that's, that's what they say, but it isn't always what they do. Right. And, you know, and, and that does trickle down into the, the ward level where there are some members who are like, no, we are going to be these charitable people. And then there's the other ones that like, we're going to be the ones that remind you that you're never good enough. And yeah. like the kind of this, this push and pull and tug of war that just it, for me, it became, I, I can't keep doing this, but anyway, this isn't really about me and my, well, but, but the, the stories about these two places, the Wisconsin ward and the Michigan ward, I don't think, I don't think my story could have happened in any other. Um, oh, cause you talk climate. about being outside of the mission field, meaning like outside well, of Utah. Yeah, there's that. Or there's, in the mission field. The ratio of judgmental yeah. to sincerely loving mm-hmm. um, was, 
there was just so much love and acceptance. So when I was in jail, people from Wisconsin would drive the five hours to come and look at a window, (laughs) at a glass, uh, and talk to me through a little speaker for 10 minutes. Um, there's, there was just a level of love and support there that I have never felt. Bloomington, where we lived together, mm-hmm. that was a great ward. There was a lot of acceptance in that ward, but there was also, yeah. the ratio was a little higher. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think because it was a university ward and there was, you know, there was this dichotomy of the, and and you and I both experienced being on both sides of this, because when we came in, we were on the young student side, which would cycle through about every two or three years, you'd have a different crop. And then there were the, the, the established, you know, people, and there was a little bit more of the kind, I mean, you, you had, you, you have different personalities in both of those groups, but there was a very distinct difference between those groups but it was it was it was a great ward and it's amazing to me to think of you know people that were in that ward like like jake and uh adam fisher and you know uh, oh what what was her name that um taught gospel doctrine and martha Taysom. Oh God, I love Martha. You know Martha Taysom, Carol Watson, Carol Watson. Yeah, I mean, there's so, the Katanis. Like, yeah, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There's people who. So I guess what I think there was a lot of people in that ward who who knew of the problems with the church. Yeah. So I came from it a perspective like I knew nothing, and then all of a sudden I learned everything. Yeah. For you and for my husband and for other people, I. I find it amazing because you've known for so long of different issues, yeah. but you were still there. Like this choosing to stay thing was so interesting to me for a while. Yeah. Until, until I just couldn't anymore, but, <laughs> but let's, let's move on with your story because you, 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 you don't go on the mission. You do go out to Utah yeah. and, and <laughs> these roommates that you don't spend a lot of time <laughs> talking about these roommates, but you know, like the things that they're worried about and so yeah. concerned about seems so naive and just petty compared to what you've been through in your life. And that, that just was a stark contrast. Yeah. So me. I think, because their lives, I mean, it, it, by no means were uh, Aaron and Kate's lives easy. You know, they both have had their own stories, their own things that have happened. And some of that is really hard. But they... Um, well, thank you for reminding me of that, because I was looking at, at these as, <laughs> as superficial, flat characters that aren't, you know, oh. it's not really their story. So they just they just play this kind of antagonistic role a little bit to what you're going through in there. I feel like, I feel like they were free at, at some level, they were free to be like, um, silly girls. Mm -hmm. Like even in college, girls can be, you know, silly. And sometimes when I was with them, I, I felt free to be that. It was a wonderful place to come from, you know, look out in the world and see it all rosy and, um, like one time we dressed up in togas and went to the BYU library yeah. with these big pieces of paper. It was like a scroll trying to get dates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. It's very Provo. But um, I, wrote a, I wrote a chapter for a book that I don't think ever got published on creative dating practices. 
um, <laughs> in, in Provo and just all the yeah. different things like that, that, that you're, you're doing different, uh, it, it, we did a date once that was like a scavenger hunt where we, we went to get our dates and they weren't at the apartment, but they had left little clues throughout the campus where we did for us to go and find them. Yeah. And it was kind of cute and kind of annoying. And what was, what the funniest thing about it is that we, in, in the course of us going from clue to clue to clue to clue, we intersected with another group that was doing the same thing and we got their clue and they got our clue. And so we ended up finding, you know, it was just really, really funny. So it, it, it is this, this little bubble of weird creative dating stuff, which I, I, I love. I mean, I have a great affection for it. It's really interesting to yeah. non-members when yeah, you just sure. these little like, cultural, <laughs> yeah. it's fascinating for them. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so you meet, you eventually meet Steve yeah, and, and you're getting to know Steve, and that was so interesting to to hear what you said about that. And and you're with him one night, and 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 one of the things that you you say is that you were terrified of the intimacy of a relationship. You yeah. you knew how to go from one to one to sixty in five seconds or whatever it was, but you didn't know how to to navigate in between that in between. Yeah, what do I do at number seven? Like right. I don't even. Know. <laughs> yeah, and and. Uh, so, so you're talking with Steve and, and you decide, uh, I've never been to Las Vegas. We're really close to Las Vegas. And Steve says, well, let's go. Let's, let's, let's head down there. And you decide that you're going to go. And when your roommates hear about this, <laughs> like, no, yeah. Tammy, you don't want to do this. Really? You right. don't. Well, I told him when we were getting married that we were going right. to just go to a chapel and get married. And you, uh, no, you can't, you have to go to the temple. You don't want this. You want to go to the temple. I know you. And, um, so I, played that up just to torment them a little bit which is a totally a move that i would have made and then when steve chides <laughs> you and says that was mean i'm like oh i can see steve saying that to me too yeah i do things that i think are funny that turned out being mean to other people oh, okay i gotta yeah, get that in no. check but they were a little uh, mad but they sat with that for a long time so we were gone for 26 hours and we get back and the bishop is in our kitchen <laughs> when you get back your bishop's waiting for you because you're in my kitchen. your roommates yeah. told on you yeah. So they, and I don't know how long he sat there, but cause I guess <laughs> yeah. before the sacrament, before the bread and water was even done being passed, the whole ward knew about it because my roommates were telling everyone. So, yeah. So and and I, I do remember at, you know, BYU at this time there, I, I don't know if this is actually that it happened a lot or, or it was just the stories that were really prevalent of Students that would go down to Las Vegas, oh, yeah. just get married for the weekend so they could have sex legally. And yeah, they're like, and no, that's a home. loophole. You're, you're, you can't get away with that. If I can't get away with that, you can't get away with that either. Yeah. Yeah. That was a thing. Yeah. I don't you think it know. was entire family home evening groups, but it was big groups <laughs> of people would go down and get married. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we went to Vegas and we didn't even do anything. We didn't hold hands. Right. You know, we slept in the car and, and brushed our teeth at a pit stop, a, a truck stop. And, and we went to this little chapel um, store and we bought a little fake ring. It was a mm. dollar and it just looked like a really cheap uh, wedding ring. Mm-hmm. And I put this towel with this lacy fringe over my wrist and then just took a picture of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we got back, that's I had the ring on. Mm. And so I was still perpetuating this thing. And the bishop's like, we got to talk. And <laughs> <laughs> Steve, 
Steve takes the bishop outside and tells him the truth that we yeah. are not married. It was just a really long date. We were just hanging out. And, um, and the bishop laughs when, when he hears it from Steve, right? And, and goes and home. Like, okay. Like, yeah. I can finally cool. go home to my family now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So my roommates get totally pissed when I tell them the truth. Of course. Yeah, right. They're so mad because now they've told the whole ward and they look ridiculous. Right. Yeah. But they, but they don't, they don't have any way of taking responsibility for their role in perpetuating this whole <laughs> practical joke that really no. they started. Yeah. You just kind of went, Oh, you're going to go this way. All right. Let's see. <laughs> let's see. Yeah. Kind of nudge them along it. and play with them and tease them. And yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yeah. Um, that was fun. So I met Steve um, on my roommate's birthday. We had a surprise birthday for her. Mm-hmm. He was on the balcony looking out. He was the lookout yeah. on the balcony. And I was the lookout by the front door. And we would communicate with hand signals through the balcony window. And, yeah. um, and he was just kind of adorable. You know, yeah. he, he kind of still is. I know, right? Yeah. Um, he had this kind of longer hair, which yeah. in Provo is like... Um, a sin and and he had sideburns oh my god oh and a beard right yeah no no beard at that time just sideburns oh okay so and his hair was really curly i've never seen steve without a beard so and it touched his shoulders anyway so that just just the nature of that kind of rebellion yeah if you can be like a believer but have your own identity and flavor and like Mm -hmm not conform so much yeah i was so appreciative of that yeah i was drawn to that for sure so um anyway we got engaged in march and married in may and that was a long engagement for provo tell you what oh yeah yeah and i want to talk about that in a second but there's there's one more passage from the book i want to read Um, and, and it's, you know, you you don't spend a lot of time, you know, but your, your story is basically winding down at this point in, in the book, but there's this theme of judgment that you get with the roommates and the Las Vegas story, you know, they're, they're hypersensitive and very quick to, to come to judgments. So you get back to Detroit from being in Provo for a while, um, and you say, I arrive in, in, in Detroit on a Sunday morning. So we went straight to the church since my yeah. family was there. The youth seminary teacher was walking toward me in the hall during sacrament meeting. And she says to you, and you're wearing jeans or something. And she says, is that what they taught you to wear to church out in Utah? She asked, looking at my jeans and t-shirt. And you say, no, they taught me how to judge other people by what we're wearing. <laughs> I yeah. said, mic drop. And she, yeah. she stopped and fumbled and apologized. Oh, I didn't mean to judge you, Tammy. You say, sure, sure. Don't worry about it. But whether you mean to or not, you're so like, yeah, like that's what happens is, is uh, you, you're so hyper aware of what everybody else is doing and making sure that everybody else is dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. And that judgment just kind of creeps in unintentionally unintentionally but it's just there and i love that you called her out on it and just did it in such a like that that that's kind of like the new testament jesus way of rebuking someone yeah, right right so <laughs> but if if i had been at this point in my life a little less self-assured mm-hmm. right if i yeah. had been reliant in any way on what others were thinking about me more than i was yeah because we all do it a little bit yeah. I might have been um kind of shattered by what 
that kind of treatment. Over time, getting little bits like that from people, it just wears away at your soul, right? And so um, in saying something to her, I wanted it to not happen to somebody else. Like there was this, there's just always been a need of protection against people like me, but also people who don't have my story, who just who just need a little more acceptance than that. That kind of. Yeah. Well, even in, even in Bloomington, I think I remember a time that you were doing something with the youth. I think Shaylee was part of this and you were asked to cover your tattoo. You've got like a tattoo oh. on your leg or something like an ankle yeah, yeah. Tattoo or something. Yeah. Yeah. There was that. Well, and it was okay. So I got all my tattoos and all my piercings before Gordon B. Hinckley ever said anything about it. (laughs) So there was, I was not breaking any rules. Like when I went to Utah before I got married, Uh uh, Steve and I went to a tattoo shop and I got a new tattoo, like, Mm. because it wasn't explicitly said you couldn't have a tattoo. So Mm. why, why do I have to anyway? So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, They, They wanted me to cover it. I think, I think I was in the, I was a counselor to the president at that time. Yeah. And then I was president before yeah. I left. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I think, I think that was a, that was a camp, like a girl's camp or youth camp oh, or something sure. like that. And, and Erica and Jake were there with you. And I, I just remember having that conversation with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so then you, you mentioned you and Steve, you get married and, and um, th- there's, there's some details that, um, I kind of intentionally skipped over until we got to this part because when you first went to went back to that ward and you felt that warm lovingness and the bishop told you you needed to have a disciplinary council, he also gave you a blessing. Yeah, he and did. in that blessing, he told you that within two years you would be married. That's and what he you, said. And you two went years. what? I had never met this guy, and yeah. he's giving me a blessing. You know, like. You know, and I appreciated those blessings. I felt like uh, uplifted from those blessings. Like it gave me some additional strength, I felt like. Um, yeah. And that was what their intention was. And so maybe it was it was a psychological thing. But nonetheless, like I felt good getting them. But he didn't even know me. And he no. said, <laughs> you're going to be married in two years. And I, what? Like, right. Married? So and, I, I intentionally was, did not date. I did not. <laughs> you wanted to prove him wrong. A man. <laughs> because that yeah. is not going to happen. I'm yeah. going to prove him wrong. Yeah. And and then when you go to the ward in Michigan with, mm-hmm. with Bishop Lowe, he gives you a blessing and he yeah. tells you within a year 18, and a half, you're going to get married. And 18 to 24 months. And these were specifically said that. And, and unless there's some kind of, conspiracy going on where the bishops were colluding you know mm-hmm. you got to ask yourself okay what is and then you know you you do you meet, yeah. you get married and it fits that prophecy and it's 21 like, months so what, what 21 you, months after my second bishop said it my new dad yeah and ex, and about 23 months or 20 something i think 23 months after i met the first bishop yeah so yeah, and there, yeah. there, you know, you could also argue that the they might have been thinking about the Las Vegas wedding, the, right. the, the little that ring in the chapel. That could have been it. <laughs> but you could argue that there's a general um, expectation for marriage at a certain age for a woman, right? Sure. You could yeah. say you're going to get married because this is what we do in the church, yeah. that kind of thing. But this was very specific, 
and mm-hmm. and kind of terrorizing in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you could think too, like, I should have probably prepared myself in some ways, you know, like maybe I should have gotten ready for that. But instead, I, I ignored it and um, looked the other way and acted like it was never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I could have used some prep time for sure. Yeah. But but it did and you know (laughs) like all marriages have their ups and downs and i know you guys have your ups and downs too but you're together and like the 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 life that you have and i've i've been to your house in orlando it's beautiful i i am so envious of that screened pool in your backyard (laughs) that keeps the the mosquitoes out and the alligators maybe and uh uh yeah just just um you know, I, I, I had such even, uh, even stronger uh, affection for both you and Steve, um, and, and the way that you manage your lives, um, after reading this than, than I even knew about before. And I had a lot before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so l- let me ask how, so since it's been out since September, I'm assuming that, um, your mom and dad, the Lowe's have, have read it and you're, you know, brothers and sisters, and maybe even on your biological side, have they? Like, what what kind oh. of response have you had from your family to this? So, in October, we had a reunion um, with the Lowe's. So, it was my mom and dad and just the siblings. So, not even mm-hmm. spouses were invited to this one. So, no grandchildren or anything. So, it was the original eight um, were invited. And my brother couldn't come, Gary, but everybody else was there. And I gave them all a copy if they hadn't already ordered it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they all read it. My do- And this is fascinating. I, I mean, they're all very supportive. Um, and the kids didn't really know all the details because they were five to 16 at the time. Yeah. But like the oldest who was 16 then she, she's read it with her daughter. Oh, wow. Who's not even in young women's yet. But, and they're all still in the church and believing yeah. and it's just they're working all- out great for them. Yeah. Super Orthodox. Yeah. Yeah. But they all have this, I mean, the lows are less formal about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they're, they're true believing, but they're sensitive and um, loving and all the good things. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, I don't know about my, uh, my original family. I don't know if they've read it. Probably not. And I don't know if they're interested. Like yeah. they didn't care when I was oh. in their family, right? I, so I, another really poignant moment in the book is is after or like right before, right before the adoption becomes official, you have to w- work with a social worker so that they can make sure that there isn't any like funny business going on with right. this family adopting a twenty two year old <laughs> woman, and yeah. um, which might have served. Uh, Joseph Smith well in uh, Nauvoo yeah. at some point but anyway we can put that aside um, the the um, one of the things that you needed to do before this could be official was to notify your birth parents that you were being adopted you, you never knew who your dad was so you just put an article in the paper with the name of the guy on your birth certificate and said hey yeah. adopted with your mom you called her yeah. And, and, and your, your dad, Bishop Lowe got on the other line so he could listen to this conversation. Yeah. And yeah. So he's upstairs. So yeah. adorable. He's upstairs on the phone and I'm down in the kitchen and it's just a, it's not a long conversation. Um, and she actually, she wasn't nice 
or accepting, but she wasn't uh, vicious either. Um, she just didn't care. You know, so I say, I tell her, I'm going to be adopted into this new family. I needed to let you know. And she's like, well, why are you telling me? Yeah. Um, You're just going to do what you want to do anyway. Yes. That's, that's kind of vicious to me, Tammy. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is, but it's, it's, it's in, in the realm of neglect and um, totally, totally not caring. But but going out of her way to make you know how little she cares about you. Yeah. I guess that's true. And, I guess that's true. But, but that, and that was, that was his reaction. That was, that was your new dad, Bishop Lowe's yeah. reaction when he came down and he said, yeah. I, I've never heard a mother be that cold and uncaring to a child. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, he was so cute. He yeah. came down the stairs and his mouth is hanging open and his eyes are kind of buggy out and, and he's telling, you know, my mom, because she didn't hear anything. She's standing next to me. There's only two phones in the house. So yeah. um, back in the day. And they, he tells her, um, and I just sit, you know, I just sit with that and recover, right? Yeah. Even though it was a short conversation, there's something about her that just is so damaging to my soul. Yeah. Which is why it's... Um, I mean, it's a good thing I was kicked out and it's a good thing I have a new family. Those things kind of never go away. But I can't, sure. you know, people, the, one of the first things people ask me when I tell them this story is, is, you know, do you talk to her still? And there's a little bit of judgment in there. Like she gave birth to you, you know, somehow <laughs> oh, she taught you okay. to tie your shoes and you don't talk to her mm-hmm. and you've now joined another family. Like how horrible of a child are you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. But it's a, a complete self-preservation mode for sure. me. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, I, you know, I, I, a lot of people have said this in, in the ex-Mormon world that the, the, the church really does a disservice by um, making a difficult environment for variety of perspectives in life, you know, that's probably the nice way to say it. I, I think your, your experience, the way that it made you see life and, and value what you value um, is, is something that could, and I'm sure has influenced and, and helped a lot of people. I, I know it has with my daughter, Shaylee. She, you know, she's mentioned it. And just so like the things that you have to offer and, and the things that other women have to offer and other men too, and people that, that don't meet, meet that top 10% of the families that do everything in the ward that you were talking about, you know, that might right. feel like they don't have anything to offer. They don't, you know, they're still making ripples on the smooth pool you know they're, they're making an impact in the world um and, and um I, I i don't know i just i i really appreciate you and your experience your willingness to share these things your willingness to come on and talk about it um and um i i hope i hope that the lows listen to this mm-hmm. i you know and i i love them i i love them and i don't begrudge them their orthodox mormon beliefs 
one iota because look at what they did. Look, look at look at how they helped you and gave you what your family didn't, and then and then taught you how to give that to to Dallin and Jackie and Steve and yeah. you yeah. know it's just it's so touching and inspiring. Mm-hmm. They are um, they're the most amazing people. So I I kind of rushed to get the book out so that I could give them all copies. Mm-hmm. You know. It was I didn't know we were going to have this reunion, but I was thinking Christmas or something. I wanted to, I wanted the, them to have a copy of that. And, um, I mean, it's a little awkward to share all these other things, but their response has been really good. Yeah. When I yeah. when I left the church, I mean, I, I have a family because I became Orthodox Mormon. So. Uh, how complicated is that? So if I leave the church, then what happens with this new family? But they have not left me. Yeah. Um, So in fact, when we had our gathering in Michigan in October, one of the days we had um, father's blessings. And I got to tell you, like my dad, I mean, he gave me the blessing about getting married, but he is a rock star in the realm of blessings. And Mm. he always, (laughs) tells me things that I, um, treasure, like seriously, it's almost psychic, which is fascinating, um, to talk about, but, um, he gave me my blessing first because I'm the oldest and he, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was, it was to the effect of you've chosen not to stay in the church and we love you and God loves you. And we're proud of the mother and the wife that you are. and Like those kinds of things, right? So there's the church and all of that crazy. But then there's this family. They're just pure and wonderful and loving. Yeah. Uh, part of the problem with the first few years when you leave the church is separating out the nuggets yeah. of truth with everything else. Right. Um. And they are, they're my, my biggest nugget. Yeah. I love them. And I, and I've never, I don't think I've ever met them. I don't think they ever came or I don't, maybe, maybe I met, might have, but I, I love them too. <laughs> I, 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 I love this. And, um, you know, even as, as we were reminiscing on some of those names from, from that Bloomington ward, um, you know, the Watsons and, and Katanis and, Martha and you know there's so many there are too many to, to name just such wonderful beautiful people that yeah uh, that that I wish I could express to all of them the appreciation that I have for you know the the influence that the silent influence that they had on me that I probably still haven't even recognized all and and impact mm-hmm. um but um yeah so it, anyway Making, one, making uh, space for me, Tammy. <laughs> yeah. A great, a great book. Go ahead. Thank you. There was one woman in Bloomington, totally Orthodox family. I'm not going to say who they are, but like on the tier of, of committed, the most committed family in the ward probably. And she told me that she had had these thoughts or, reactions to history um the history of the church and she described it as putting it on a shelf Mm -hmm. and that was the first time i heard that term 
So she set it aside so that she could keep the life going, Mm -hmm. you know? And I tried to do that. I just couldn't do it. And, you know, I'm probably going to share the link for this with my family and they've, they've settled into my decision. Um, but it's not an easy one. There's so many people who leave the church every year and it's, it's not an easy decision. It's very difficult and it's painful to um, rip yourself out from an entrenched belief system like that. But I appreciate, I appreciate those who are still loving and, and kind to me. There's and, and, a lot of, uh, a lot of times when you leave too, they don't, you just don't see them anymore. The, all the people in the ward, because you're not in the same circle that they are in anymore. So it's naturally, you just see them less, but then eventually they all kind of start drop off. Um, yeah. Stop contacting you or whatever. So, and, and you know, it's, there, there are choices that people make and there's options that people have. And the, the church definitely has, baked into its own doctrine hope for you know that just just trust in the lord trust in the saving atonement of jesus christ that he he's going to love and he's going to take care of people even who leave the church even you know like even who you might see as sinning or something in in some way that there's hope so kind of relax the judgment relax the relax the fear Mm-hmm. Trust in this thing. It sounds to me like that's where your family's at. That's where, you know, Bishop and Sister Lowe are, are at with, with this. It's hard to do. It was a frustrating thing to bump into people who couldn't do that. And, yeah. and, and then my own ability, inability to not judge people, you know, cause that was, I mean, like, I can't, I can't, I can't look back at my reasons for leaving the church and sit and blame it all on the church. I've got to take the responsibility for my role in it and, and my right. inability to do it. And, and the, you know, the, the, the flawed limited ways that I perceive things as well. And just go, look, you know, the, the, the things that I found really valuable and still do find valuable in the messages of the church, I'm going to try and hold on to, and I'm going to try and do a better job of living that kind of, Christ-like mm-hmm. life, even if now I see Jesus Christ as a symbol and a character and a story rather than, you know, like the, the, the real thing that I thought that it was before and leave some space open that it's probably even different than, you know, like what I think that it is. There, yeah. may, be, there may be even more to it than I can even see. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's all... <laughs> it's all tangled up and, and, and trying to untangle it, trying to untie all of these knots. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't want to say anything bad about. No, the, the I don't either. And, and a person's choice to stay or choice to believe in things, even when it's hard to do that. Yeah. It's completely their right. Um, I think that I've always, like the thread, one of the threads in the, in the story and like my life is, is I am entitled to make a choice for myself. Yeah. And it was late getting to that point, but once I finally got it, um, I've kind of stuck to that, you know, no matter what the consequences, I want to be able to sit in my, you know, sit back and get down into my soul and like feel okay about things, feel okay about what, what I'm doing. And that was, that was a, it was kind of a reach to figure that out afterwards. 
but I like my daughter now, she's 17 and a half. She's going to be 18 this summer. Mm-hmm. And we left the church just before she turned 12. Yeah. So she never got a young woman's lesson, you know, and, but she went to girls camp. She did. Oh with my Emma. goodness. I remember with, with my, my daughter, who's just a year older than Jackie. Yeah. We were and, just talking about this yesterday. Yeah. The impactful, horrible experience that that was. So she frames yeah. things differently year to year because of her brain development. But right yeah. now, as it stands, sure. she sees that like the testimony meeting on Friday night mm-hmm. where the pressure to get up and say what you believe in and to um, cry. Mm-hmm. She did it. Like the bishop was urging her, her best friend was urging her, go, just go up and do it. And so she did and she said what everybody else was saying, and she cried like everybody else was doing. And and afterwards, everybody thought she was going to come to church again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she had said she believes, you know. Yeah. But she she got home, and she was so upset. She she felt like a liar. She said, I, I don't know why I said those things. Well, because she wanted to be accepted, right? And, yeah. and, and it's made very clear. This is what you have to do in order to, to be accepted. Yeah. And, yeah. And and that's for what I meant earlier. Uh, yeah, for uh, yeah, for anybody of any age in the church, you know, that's and that that's really what I meant when I said earlier that that um you have to sacrifice your own truth and integrity for some people in some cases if if you feel like I'm not sure if it's true. Yeah. Know? Like some people do get up and say that, but it's there's a social cost that goes with there's you know like identifying yourself like I'm going to put this scarlet letter on myself and wear it around. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the lows have really um, held space for me even yeah. after I've left. Yeah. And um, the relationship really hasn't changed that much. My wish, of course, is that um, the church would hold space for all kinds of people and all differences and yeah. sexualities and genders sure. and yeah. all of it. Right. Yeah. Um, they're a long way off from doing that, but so is our society in general. So that's true. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, thanks, Tammy. This was Good awesome. Times. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. I was really, I was really taken aback by your response to the book. Like you just don't know how everybody's gonna feel about it, you know. But what you said really um, just, huh, just touched my heart, and I just wanted to say thank you. Well, you touched my heart first, so thank you for doing that. <laughs> we can thank each other. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> All right. So there you go. Making Space for Me by Tammy Whiting. You can get it on Amazon. I'll put the link on the website. I hope you all go out and buy a copy of it. It's as great of a conversation as this was. And as much as you can tell Tammy's personality coming out in the conversation, the book is even better. It's just fantastic. So I I would encourage you all to go and get a copy and get a copy for your friends and family members. And uh, it's just, it's an incredible story. So I'm curious though, what, what did you take away from this? Because I'm sure that there's different people that listen to this and they hear different things and like, what does it mean to you? So uh, I'd like to know. So leave a comment on our website or send us an email at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. I'd really like to know what your takeaway was. And here's my takeaway. I will survive. 
Yeah, as long as I know how to love, I know I'll be alive. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so, making space for ourselves, especially in a hostile world, it's kind of a team effort. I, I mean, even if you just reduce everything that you just heard to a constant pattern of action and reaction over and over and over again in all kinds of different shades and flavors and styles and intensities. You do something, I react. I do something, you react. And even when that something is nothing, we're all doing this together. The choices that we make in this cycle that, you know, it's kind of remarkable to think about, but every single one of us is at the very center of the way that we perceive reality. We're at the center of all of this. And every single choice that we make, those choices determine the shape of the spaces that we create for ourselves. And even the level of hostility in the world that we're creating this is shaped and determined by collectively these choices that we're all making, the ways that we act, the ways that we react. And of course, we can't control how others act or react. And there's some question as to how much control we really even have over our own actions and reactions. But to some degree, at least, we have some agency, we have some choice. So with that idea in mind, I want to do something now that I haven't done in a very, <laughs> a very long time. Not in this form, anyway. I'd like to bear my testimony. Now, I used to do this on a pretty regular basis. You know, the first Sunday of every month for Fast and Testimony meeting, whether I got up and shared with my fellow ward members or not, or they got up and they shared with me, this was one of those things that we did. One of those action and reaction dances that I engaged in. And today, I'd like to do it again. I'd like to bear my testimony. And so I've got I've to try and remember the... <laughs> The, the pattern and the cadence and the mood to set with that because it's all part of that action. All right. I'd like to bear my testimony. I know that life is true. I know that pain and suffering exist in this world and that every cloud has at least one silver lining and often even more. And I know through my own trial and error of life experience, that the search and discovery of those silver linings can make all the difference in how happy and connected and healthy I personally feel. I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet because he said that he was, and because many people, including many generations of my ancestors, believed what he said, and that belief restored hope and joy and meaning into their lives. I know that we humans are flawed, every single one of us, and often those flaws run deep. And those flaws are often themselves a result of the action-reaction dance created by others long before we ever entered the game. And these flaws influence the way that we in turn both act and react in this world. And for me, personally, I know that forgiveness and love and charity have carved out more peaceful spaces for me in my life than bitterness or anger or vitriol of any form ever has. 
I know that flexibility and tolerance and going with the flow have been healthier ways for me to exercise faith and love and charity than inflexibility, intolerance, or stubborn, arrogant rigidity of any kind. And I know this because I've tried them all. (laughs) Sometimes still do. And I know with crystal clarity that the worth of every soul is great, that we cannot run faster than we have strength, that there is truly joy to be found in mourning with those who mourn and comforting those in need of comfort, and that life is a little brighter when I'm able to be grateful for all that life has to offer, even if I have to create and believe in fictions to discover that gratitude, to manufacture ways to be grateful, even for my enemies or for those who have spitefully used and abused me. For I've come to know with every fiber of my being that there truly must needs be opposition in all things and that all these things shall give us experience, all of them. And the fruit of that experience, that the glory of God is intelligence. And this testimony I leave with you in the name of Tammy Whiting and Bishop and Sister Lowe and their children and their children's children and QJ and silly girls Aaron and Kate. I think those were their names. And even creepy broken grandpa. And in the names of all the people that you heard about in this story and all the people that you didn't. And in the names of Jake and Tom and Matt and Scott and Randy and Bob and John and Heather and Allison and Olivia and a Boyd K. Packer and Thomas S. Monson and Jonathan Haidt and Yuval Harari and Russell Brand and Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson and Alan Watts and Mr. Rogers and John Paul George and Ringo and wow, that's a lot of men's names so let's not forget Michelle Obama and Brene Brown and Zora Neale Hurston and my mom Debbie and my sister Missy and Tracy and Shaylee and Emma and Krista and Krista and Layla and Zoe and every guest we've ever chatted with and every submitter of every listener essay and every other listener who has ever been drawn for whatever reason and with whatever reaction to this podcast called Infants on Thrones. You have all made an impact on the world. Those impacts all have their good and their bad, their dark clouds and their silver linings. And you have all made an impact on me. And for that, I sincerely thank you, and I love you. And these words I leave with you in the name of all that is, or was, or ever will be. Amen. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew Ryan. Carol Dutchley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? And if you like what you heard today and you like the direction this podcast is going and you want to experience even more of it, please consider joining us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode capped at whatever monthly budget you set, you can have a more immersive experience and help create what this podcast is, Infants on Thrones, with your action Action. and reaction. reaction. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.